Well, we all know if we're Christians that there's something that's holding us. It's certainly not us holding ourselves. I'm glad he's done it that way, though. <clears throat> it displays his strength and projects greater our weakness. We greet you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a privilege it is for us to be gathered together. As Brother Louis always said, we certainly appreciate the visitors that stayed over from the wedding to be in service with us today. You've graced us with your presence being here and added your lick of fire to the service. We thank you for doing that. I just in my mind, when I look across a diverse crowd, people from different bodies and assemblies and all that, I think of the great day that's going to come when we all will gather together. We won't have any appointments after that gathering. We won't have any place to go. Nobody will be tired. Nobody will be weary. Can you imagine an eternal day with no sadness, no sickness, no sorrow? Speaking of Sister Shipley's funeral yesterday, I was given a little bit of a description about where she had went to, and I spoke on an address change notification. So that's what death really is for each of us. We are notifying people where we're going. So the life we live tells us the forwarding address of our mail. So I want to live the kind of life that mine gets forwarded to heaven, don't you? But I mentioned there yesterday, imagine living in a city with millions times millions of people, neighbors all around you everywhere, and there'll never be one property dispute. You never have to have a fence up. Your neighbor never have a loud dog. <laughs> Nobody will ever be fussing, arguing, debating. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. If we could keep time after a million years, we look around and see one another and we think, you haven't changed a bit. People tell you that all the time and they're lying like a dog. They are. I mean, there you are, you put on 50 pounds and you got wrinkles under your face. Your hairs fell out and said, well, you ain't changed the best. How long has it been since you've had your eyes checked? We all are changing. It's death working in our mortal bodies. But one day, we'll be able to say that, and it'll be the truth. Oh, Brother Lou, it's been 500,000 years since I've seen you. You ain't changed a bit. Praise God. Friends, this is not a dream. It's the truth. <clears throat> Let's read today from the book of Job, if you would. For our visiting friends that are with us today, we've been speaking a few services on the absolute. <clears throat> We'd like to look at that again today if we can, if the Lord will help us. <clears throat> Job chapter 42, verse 7. We know an absolute is a necessity of life. Everybody has one. Not only everybody here, but everybody in the world. They have an absolute, whether it's their mother, their father, themselves, politics, Whatever it is, everybody has an absolute, something that they go by, something that they may is the final say. And they say, well, because so-and-so said it, that's why I believe it. Or I do this because I want to. So that I want to is your absolute. But <clears throat> we've been looking at Job and we left him last week in a terrible, terrible state. But we'd like to fast forward that a little bit and come to pretty close to the end of the story. And see how it concludes. 
Job 42, 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Now remember, God started out this story speaking about how great Job was. The trial was over a year, historians say, so he's come through a lot of things. And listen what God is still saying about his servant. Verse 8, Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept. I know you, I know you understand it, but just to remind you, God did not accept Abel's or did not accept Abel because of the lamb. God accepted the lamb because of Abel. <clears throat> so I want you to notice here, God is going to accept the bullock and the rams because God would accept Job's prayer. I don't know why in the world that we would think that God would put more vindication on an animal than he would an elect seed. This is what God said. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right. I'll tell you, when God finds a child that he can brag on, he likes to brag. Like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Naamathite went and did according as the Lord commanded. Well, at least they had enough sense to do that. And did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord, praise God, also accepted Job. Now look what happens. Job's trial was not yet quite over. But look what turns it in the final phase. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. I know, friends, many of us have been through very, very difficult times. But one of the worst things we can do is just focus on ourselves. Watch this key in Job's life. So God actually turns the captivity of Job when Job enters in to the needs of others. And sometimes when our loss is so great, it seems so overwhelming. But I wonder sometimes if God doesn't want us to look at others as well. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I may like to be remembered today as we pray. Heavenly Father, it is such an honor for us to be gathered together today in this place that we dedicated so many years ago 
as a house of God. We thank you for our friends that have gathered from different places. We thank you for those that have stayed over to be with us from Arizona today. And we ask that you would bless them, Father. Those that will be flying back and driving back and that you just watch over them. Give them your protection. We ask you today as we've assembled together that you would take the word. Father, all I know to do as a man is to study and to be able to apply myself and prayerfully look at things and present myself. And then, Lord, the rest is up to you. I don't, I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to speak to people. I don't know how, Lord, to be able to take words and help them to reach down into people's hearts and souls. How could a man do that? I cannot, Father. But I pray that you would help me. No doubt our needs are many. Not only of the, the visible audience, but of the invisible that are gathered by the means of the internet. And I'm sure that there are many more that's what's here visible. Would you help us? Would you speak to our hearts? Help me, Father, that if there's a need there that lays out of the confines of what I've studied, help me to be sensitive, Lord. Yes, Lord. If it's just for a few minutes, Lord. As I received the message the other day from someone here in the church thanking me for following your direction on Wednesday night because they were here with a need in their life. And I was wondering myself, why did I go that way? But I found out on Thursday. So I thank you for that, Father. Help us, I pray today, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Job certainly had an absolute. It was not a written Bible. It was not tapes. It was not a pastor. It was not a church that he could go to. But it was a revelation of the will of God. And he believed that God, as God had made known to Eliphaz and his friends, that it was through the number seven that God would receive the atonement. The bullock and, of course, the ram, testifying of the coming Messiah. And Job had received by this revelation from God before his trials ever come to pass what God would accept of a mortal. It might have seemed quite simple, but he simply believed what God said. He not only believed it for himself, but he believed it for his children. So when God allowed this great tremendous thing to go to happening in Job's life, the only thing he knew to do was just keep believing what he knew was absolute. He couldn't understand why the trials were so severe, losing 10 children in one day, 7,000 sheep, in one day. 7,000 camels, she asses, all types of things, and just a matter of days. He didn't have a word from God to explain that to him. And sometimes this is the way God does. God doesn't always give us every explanation of what we're going through and why and how come and this is why you're going through this, and then this tomorrow. No, he doesn't always do that. 
But he gives us an absolute that will tie us through if we will allow it to do so. Job didn't understand why God took his children. He didn't understand why fire from the Lord came down and destroyed his property. He did not understand why that the boils, as we looked at it last week, covered him and what horrendous shape that Job got in. But there was a few things that he still believed and he still maintained. And that was he was in God's provided way. And Job also had an understanding that Satan could not take him until his purpose in life was done. I think we still need that assurance today. Now it's amazing to me when I read these verses and how that God would accept the person of Job and that even though his three friends, they had spoke in words that was so contrary to the will of God and none of these horrendous things was happening to them. And no doubt some people probably thought they were more righteous than Job was. But Job had to believe that he'd obey God. But here God gives us his view, which is really what matters when it's all said and done. God says that he will accept Job. Now, no doubt his three friends thought that they were closer to God, they meant more to God, they had a great special place, and they would go down and pray for Job because Job had backslid, and God would hear their prayer. But the truth of it is, God wouldn't even hear them. God's gonna hear Job. Now, when God tells Job, and if something moves upon his heart, and you can imagine how Eliphaz and his other two friends bring their bullocks and their rams, and they must confess to Job, God told us to get you to pray for us. And if you don't pray for us, we're going to suffer the judgment of God. You know, God told one of the church ages, the promise of their overcoming was, I will make your enemies come down and bow before you. Let me just give you a preview. One of these days when we stand before the Lord God and the white throne judgment is set upon this earth, Here's where the battles have raged. Here is where the judgment will take place. All of those who have made fun of God's elect children through the ages will walk before them. All of those who have criticized, ridiculed God's preachers will stand before them. But that's only part of the story. When the final judgment is set, then God will cause Satan and his hordes of demons to walk before the judgment seat. And according to what the prophet said, they will narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, is this the man that made the nations to tremble? Satan wants to be a God, but whenever he is judged, 
he will be judged not as a great cherubim, not as a great mighty angel, but he will be pronounced upon from the elect of God as a mere man. Where is your greatness now, Satan? Well, I don't know about you. I don't want to wait to get there to belittle him. I want to berate him. I want to belittle him. I want to tell him today he is already defeated by the power of the Lord Jesus and of his resurrection. So God knows exactly how to humble people. Now, you know, the most humbled human being on the face of the earth at this time has now been exalted by what? His own words, his own acclamation? No, but by God's own words himself. There's one man on the earth that I will accept, and that is Job. So Job begins to pray, and you can imagine when Job hears this by the word of God, that Job does not with an attitude pray for those who have said these things against him. I'll tell you, brother, sister, when we get to this spot in God, we are walking where we need to walk as the elect of the Lord. When we can pray for those who speak against us, who've ridiculed us, who've done all manner of evil against us, and we without an attitude, we without something in our hearts can pray for them just as freely as Job did, as the Lord Jesus did, as Stephen did, we are getting ready for a body change. When Job hears this and something within him anchors not rage, not temper, not something out of his humanity that said, I'll pray for you, all right. I pray God will bring fire and brimstone down on your hide. No, but he prays for deliverance. And when he prays for the deliverance of those who falsely accuse him and misunderstood him, God actually not only delivers them, but he finishes Job's deliverance. Now let's read a very profound part about this in Job chapter 42 verse 11. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before. Now this actually means before his trial began. Where in the world were they when he really needed them? So they hear that Job's trial has passed. <laughs> Brother Paul, they hear that he's, he's on the upper side, and then what do they all do? They all show up for the party. I've had a few friends like that myself. I know you have as well. Now you talk about the gall, as we would say. So where were his brothers? Where were his sisters when he really needed them? Now notice what they do. And they did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him. Oh, great. 
Wow, they all come and pat him on the back. Poor brother, God bless your heart. My, my, we we heard about what you was going through. We heard about it, but they kept their distance from him, didn't they? So not a one of them showed up, the Bible tells us, whenever he was going through all of this. But now that he's come through on the other side, oh, don't you love those fair-weather friends? It's even more painful when it's fair-weather family. Now I want you to notice what they did now. So they bemoaned him and they comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money. Wow, how sweet. Now watch this. You know for us, whenever we're going through things and we're facing hardships and we're saying, well, why isn't so-and-so call me? Why isn't so-and-so text me? Why isn't so-and-so email me? If we're not careful, we will get such an attitude. And if they show up after we're well and they bring us a blackberry pie or a chocolate pie or a box of vanilla ice cream to go with that chocolate pie, my, we're just so aggravated. We feel like throwing that chocolate pie in their face. We need help, don't we? Isn't it amazing that these people had this about them and yet the Bible doesn't tell us that Job run them off. (laughs) That Job told both them and the pie out in the yard. But Job actually let them in. What has happened, something has been gained through this trial and it's how to deal with sometimes people that don't love us right. I don't think there's a human being sitting here today or one under the sound of my voice that does not want to be loved and accepted and appreciated. But you know, I found it myself when I've went through some pretty difficult times in my life is that God would, for whatever reason, not allow sometimes even my closest friends to be those that would comfort me. Oh, I've been through some times, I'm telling you one thing, to where you'd give anything if some of those preacher buddies of yours would just pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. Or send you a text or just, just a couple of minutes to send me an email. Where are they? Don't get it. And you wonder why. Well, if I didn't know this book of Job right here, I would get an attitude, no doubt, toward them. But one thing I've learned is when I've been through some difficult times in my life, as you have as well, and I've learned that the disciplinary hand of God will sometimes allow me to go through that, not leaning on this one or that one or that one or that one, but leaning totally and completely on Him And then afterward, I'll get a text or an email and a brother, you know, would say, well, I was thinking about you the whole time and praying for you the whole time. And I meant to text you. I meant to call. I just got so busy. But you know what's a victory for that in me is that whenever I hear that, that I'm not just as mad as an old wet set in him that I don't just get such an attitude toward them. And what I begin to realize is that sometimes the Lord will let that happen to us for our good. 
because it will be the last phase of a great trial that we come through that God helps us so we're not depending on our mama, our daddy, our brother, our sister, our closest friend, but that we are depending on him. Now, I don't mind telling you I love encouragement from the saints of God. That's right. I think we all do. But there's times to when the Lord will actually work it in such a way that it will be him and him alone that we give our deepest comfort from. I want you to notice that God, as he's bringing Job through this in verse 12, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, remember he started out with seven, 6,000 camels started out with three, 1,000 yoke of oxen, all these of course were in half whenever the trial started, and 1,000 she asked. Wow, you talking about an investment. Now Job made his investment into eternal life into the program of God. So God allowed these things to be taken from him. Which one of you sitting here today would like to be able to take how much ever money it would be and in a year's time double that amount? If you start out with $50,000 and then in a year's time you double, 100,000 you double, whatever it would be. But I want you to look at the cost of investment when it comes to serving the Lord. Now Job had all of these things. He did not have a promise that God would double it. God did not tell him beforehand, I'm gonna do this and this and this and then I'll give you more. Well, of course, it would make our trials much easier. When we're going through trials and tests and then every day we get up and we're burdened down and the Lord shows us a little bit more of our mansion on the other side. The first day of the trial, the Lord by vision just brings you up right to your new body and introduces you in this old pest house to your new body and said, this is the new you. So be faithful, okay Lord. Lord, I'll do it. And then the next day, the Lord shows you your mansion on the other side. And the Lord comes up on whatever street that you're gonna live and you walk down these streets of gold and there's the tree of life and the water of life and God leads you right up to your new house and said, this is your place. Oh my Lord, you're kidding, this is mine. No, this is yours and I want you to be encouraged because this is what you're gonna get. And then the next day, the Lord opens the door and brings you in the foyer and oh my, there's your great big beautiful mansion and you're thinking, oh, praise God. I can face any trial. I can face any test. Well, unless there's something wrong with me, he's never done me that way. Has he ever done you that way, Brother John? Any rest of you brothers and sisters, he ever done you that way to encourage you along? And sometimes when you're going through great trials is when God chooses to remain almost silent. He says nothing. And this is where Job was. But there was something that Job had prior to this great trial, and that was an absolute. Now, it wasn't like our absolute, of course, today, because ours is so much more full and so much more expressive than what Job ever had. But it was enough to keep him. It was a revelation from God. Now, it involved his sacrifice and his worship, but it also involved the longevity of his life and service and purpose to the Lord. God had revealed to Job something that we still look at today, and that is that man is under a divine appointment. 
That man is not here just to meander through life and well, you know, you may pull out here in front of a car and you may get hit and your life is in your hands or the devil can take your life whenever he wants to. That's not what Job believed. Job believed that he had an appointed time on the earth. Well, I believe the same thing today. I believe as children of God, this is the way we're able to meet every challenge. I'll tell you one thing, I would not want to get out of bed in the morning if I believed that Satan could take me at his leisure and his will. Neither would I have the courage to get out of the bed in the morning to think that some stupid something that I would do would throw me so out of the sovereignty of God that Satan would be able to take my life. I'm sorry, I cannot have hope in such a thing. But I believe the way Job believed that my life is here for a divine purpose. How many believes that? Notice in Job chapter seven, verse one. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Now remember, this is way up at, you know, before the end of the trial. Are not his days like the days of a harling? Now I want you to notice then that Job said there is a set time for man to come on the earth. There is a set span of time for him to be here on the earth. And there is also a set time for him to leave the earth. Notice what he said. There is an appointed time to man upon the earth. Are not his days like the days of an harling? So the bounds are set for man's limitation of life when he comes. Some just are born, they live six months. Some are born, they live a couple of years, and that's it. But Job somehow had received this revelation from God. Now Job uses the word for man. He does not use the Hebrew word Adam, which means red, which is the very first word in the book of Genesis there when God made man. But Job uses another word for man, and it is anos, which means weak or mortal man. So Job said that anos, man, is like a soldier. So the appointment or the appointed time was, Job said, is like a soldier in hard service. And then he uses the word sabbat, which is another Hebrew word, and it means military service. So anos is in a military service. So when we're replaced upon the earth, we are drafted into the family of humanity. Then we go into this allotment of time and we start serving our time. And you've heard me say it before that there's three categories by which we will use our life and that is some people will waste their life, other people will spend their life, and the third category of those that will invest their life. Many people waste their life. That's all they do. They're just wasters and they waste their life and their time. Others learn to spend their life. So they spend it with their family. They spend it with working. They, and they learn to divide it properly to be able to use that. And then there's another, and that is the part of investment by which we take our lives. And in order to invest anything, you can never keep it in your own hands. If you have money today and you wish to invest it, many of us would like to be able to invest it and keep it in our pocket at the same time. But when you invest it, you must put it in someone else's trust. So you write them a check for $1,000 or $5,000, whatever it is, and an investment, and you may not see that money again for years and years, and if it's a scam, you'll never see it again. 
So many of us want to keep our life and we want to live like we want to live and yet we want to invest in eternal life after this life is over. That's a typical Laodicean church member. They want to live and do what they want to do, live the way they want to live, walk the way they want to walk, talk the way they want to talk. Don't nobody tell me how to live. Don't nobody tell me what I can do and cannot do, but them and the die, they all want to go to heaven. That is not an investment. Young people, don't wait till you become 40 or 50 years old to invest your life. Invest it while you're teenagers. You young people that are here today and you say, oh, I'm just waiting to get old. Don't wait till you get old. Invest your life right now. Why waste your life? Why waste your teen years on playing church, on playing with God? Don't, don't waste your time playing with God, but invest your life as a young man, as a young woman. And if you invest it, you must give it away. Oh my. I want you to notice this. Adam Clark, which was a man that wrote back in the 1600s, quite a a theologian in his time. I thought this was amazing what he said about human life. Human life is a state of probation, a time of exercise to train us for eternal life. It is a warfare We are enlisted in the church militant and must accomplish our time of service and there is no discharge in that war. So Job believed that there was an appointed time. Notice this again in Job 14.4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined and the number of his months Not only are your years determined in God, but your months are determined in God and your days are determined in God. Did anybody see which door the devil went out? Friends, we need to get away from this fear that Satan's gonna bring COVID on us and kill us and he's gonna do this and he's gonna do that. He cannot take your life until God is done with you. His days are determined. The number of his months are with thee and thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. And the word there determined means cut out, exact and precise, fixed and settled. I don't know what my days are. David went on to say, Lord, make me know my days so I can know how to properly allot my time. I don't know how many days I have. I don't know how many I've got left. But my father knows because they're cut out. I was supposed to be born on July the 9th, 1956. I don't know what day I'm supposed to die if I'm supposed to. I know one thing, I believe there's some saints sitting right here today in this church that will not be buried. 
Amen. One of these days, I'm going to walk in front of the last casket. I've had to walk in front of a bunch of them in my tenure here as pastor, over 120 right now, and just yesterday had to walk in front of another one. I don't like it, but I'll tell you one thing. When I stand there and say them last words over them, I'm so glad that I know that's not the last time I'm going to see them if they're a child of God because they have sown a life unto the blessed cause of the Lord Jesus and as sure as there is a God in heaven there is a resurrection of the dead hallelujah no wonder Paul said we sorrow not as others who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him when he comes hallelujah So your days are determined, they're cut out, they're fixed. This is why we should not wait till we're 50 or 60 or 70 to get serious. What if your days are only 25? What if yours is 30? What if yours is 31? Let's do what we can while we have them. Job said thou hast appointed his bounds. So the boundaries of life are already predetermined. Now, can the quality of life that we live in those appointed days be affected by what we do? Oh, yes. Well, come on now. Now, let me tell you something, sisters. I don't care how many fountain of youth lotions you buy. I don't care how many creams and lotions and powders and how many times you go to the surgeon and you walk in like this and walk out this way and your skin is stretched as tight as a rubber band because you've been operated on, you're still a 60-year-old woman. Your face may look like 45. Oh, I got a facelift. Well, I'm telling you one thing. I'm wanting more than a facelift. I'm wanting a whole body lift. (laughs) I want more than the wrinkles took out of my face. I want more than my turkey neck being fixed. I want a brand new body. Hallelujah. I'm not wanting to go to a surgeon to get it. I want to go to Jesus Christ. It'll change me in a moment. You can take vitamin C till you become one. You can take zinc and vitamin A and B plus and B50 and B this and that and the other. I'm not against that. I think we can do everything that we can do, but we're not gonna stop old age. I just read it the other day in Jerusalem Post that some Jewish scientists had broke into the understanding of cells, of what makes them age, and I just laughed whenever I read it. I thought, you'll never find the answer. You'll never be able to reverse it. But what does man want? He wants eternal life through scientific research. But there's only one form of eternal life, and that's God's life. You see, death for the child of God is also according to the purpose of God. And we do not have power within ourselves to maintain our soul in our body. When God says today is your day, and then you say, no, no, no! I do not want to go, no! Scream as loud as you want to. And wave goodbye on your way out. (laughs) 
I really wonder how many times in our lives that Satan and his crowd from down in hell has said about you or you or you. Today is their day. I'm taking them out. Now, Satan with his children is different than God and his. You see, those who live for him, they are, never give their heart to God. As the prophet termed it this way, they are ungermatized seed of human life. So they are his kids. If he wants to beat them, whoop on them, take them out, whatever. But not so with the child of God. God even says about his children when they pass, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is part of what Job had at his absolute, Satan cannot take me. But this also turned out to be a haunting feature in his trial. Because he knew he could not leave till God was done. And he was uncertain how long this test was going to be. So he just kept on saying, cursed be the day I was born. Cursed be the time that they said a woman brought forth a man child. Because <laughs> he said, well, I'm here till God gets done with me. I can't go nowhere. And he was pretty miserable. How many has been pretty miserable in your life before his children of God? Just miserable. Just miserable was life. Just miserable was life. Notice Job goes on to say in verse 14, if a man die... Shall he live again? All the days of my appointed or lauded or cut out or predetermined time will I wait till my change come. So there's an appointed time of how long he lived. Now I'll tell you friends, sometimes we look at it and say, well, this person went out prematurely. Not if they were a child of God that didn't. There's one way that God will cut off a life of a child of God short. That's when they are in sin and when they are rebelling. And God may have to take them from the earth. But let me tell you something. Every child of God, whether they go by the flu, whether they go by a car accident, whether they go by COVID, that really is not the determining factor. It was their time to go. I'll tell you, we must be in some kind of cycle to where we are nearing the rapture, the coming of the Lord. I have never heard of so many saints of God around the world passing as it has been in the last year. Oh, you say COVID took them this and that and the other. Oh, what difference does it make? Whether it's COVID or a car wreck or a TBD, TB, whatever it is, it's only something, a vehicle by which they're transported into another dimension. Friends, we must be getting close. Just another preacher this past week, another saint of God. I'm hearing about him from all over the world and we're getting more and more and more on the other side. Oh, hallelujah. Then those of us that are alive and remain, may God help us to use the rest of our appointed time for the cause and purpose of the Lord Jesus. Notice David says it this way in Psalms 31, 4. But I trusted in the Lord, in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. 
But David had a lot of enemies, a lot of people that hated him. But David shared this same absolute that Job did about his purpose of life. My times are not in the hands of Goliath. My times are not in the hands of Saul or the Amorites or the Hittites. My times are in the hand of God. I'll tell you one thing, some of us that's living under the spirit of fear, if you're under that today, I realize, well, I'm, look friends, I know that we've been through so much as the bride of Christ around the world, the whole earth has really, in the last year or so with all this COVID thing and all this been released right out of hell. But I believe there's many people that are living under such spirit of fear. They have entered into a thing of such trauma and they're so afraid. It is not of the spirit of God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. Should we be careful? Sure. I think you ought to be careful driving down the road too, but your chances are greater being struck by lightning than you are dying by COVID. If you look at the numbers, just look at the stats and search at them a little bit, you've got a greater chance of getting run over going down here to the traffic light than you have of dying by COVID. You need to get this out of your mind. Oh God, COVID this, COVID that. No, let's not say COVID this. Let's say Jesus. Let's say Jesus. Let's say resurrection. Let's say Holy Ghost, power of God. I don't believe God wants his church to live under the spirit of fear. Hallelujah. Our God is greater than COVID. He's greater than flu. He's greater than all the powers of the world put together. My life is not in the hands of the devil. You hear that. You can't take me. If I'm on a 747 and I'm heading to India, Africa, wherever it is, and there's hundreds of people on there and that thing crashes in the Pacific Ocean, if it ain't my time to go, You'll find me out there somewhere floating around on an airplane wing. It may be a month later or two months later. I may look like a hippie, my beard growed out and my hair hanging down my back. But if it ain't my time to go, I'll be alive. How you gonna eat? God can serve me sandwiches on that airplane wing. He took care of his prophet before, didn't he? That's how much I believe in the sovereignty of God. If I didn't, brother, sister, I'd just step down and say, well, I don't know. Let it be what it's gonna be. That's not who I'm serving today. I'm serving a God that is so mighty that he spashed all this world out here in the universe. And how did he do it? By his spoken word. And not only did he do that, he spoke me into this earth. And if it comes my time and I go by the way of the grave, I will not go because death, not because Satan wants to take me. I will only go because God said, today, Donnie, is your day to come home. I'll say, all right, Lord, I'm ready to go. Hallelujah. If today is my appointment, God grant it. But if I've got another year, two more years, five years, let it be a devil stomping day. Let it be a devil stomping day. Let every day of my life and your life be lived under the submission of the Holy Ghost. I was born to torment hell and hell. (laughs) 
You say, I'd be scared to death. Just say that. Well, don't say it then, you coward. I ain't scared to say it. Well, praise the Lord. Psalms 39, 4. Lord, make me to know mine end in the measure of my days. It don't take a rocket scientist today to look up here in this pulpit and see a man standing here with gray hair, okay? It don't take much of a, of a very brilliant person to realize a man as far as just natural days of life. Who knows how many more I've got? But the truth of it is some of you young people may go before I do. I buried many, many different young people and I'm still alive preaching. So I don't know when men of my days are, neither do you, because while I'm 18 or 20, I'm gonna sow wild oats, I'm gonna do this, that, and the other. You better sow seed of God while you've got the right mind to do it. God, make me to know my days. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. As a handbreadth, right here. Right there's your life. That's if you live three score and ten. So we go through this, that phase, that phase, that phase. And it's like a vapor. Like a morning mist that hovers over the beautiful Appalachian Mountains that we're privileged to live in. And we'll see it as it hangs around the lake, especially up around Gray near the airport. Those of you that's been across the river and that lake. And it'll hang in those many times I've, I drove out that way flying out early in the morning. And you see that and you run into it. My, it's the only place. Ain't no more fog nowhere else except where Brother Jim lives. Ain't no fog nowhere except out in that area. But you know what will happen to it? In a few hours, the heat of the sun will warm the earth. And it'll begin, that, that mist will begin to dissipate. And it's gone. What is that? Your life. Your life. This is man's life right here. As I stood at the graveside yesterday, I opened my comments with this. Rich, poor, famous, kings, potentates, they all end up the same place. Whether you ain't got a penny in your pocket this morning, or you've got a million dollars in your bank account. You ever seen a casket with a million dollars in it? You ever seen a casket with a set of BMW keys or Cadillac or all the title deeds, everything else? No, you don't take them with you. But what do we do? We live our life as the investment of our appointed time. And we say, God, help me know how short my life is. Amen. Notice David said, behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth and mine age is as nothing, nothing. A man lives this and he's gone. If one day is as a thousand years with the Lord, can you imagine my life? 65 years. Those of you that are 30, 14, 15, 20, 75, it says nothing. Notice this. If we were put here for a purpose, there is nothing can destroy us until God's purpose is fulfilled. Nothing can harm us until that purpose that God has put us for here has been made manifest. Oh, friends, I'm so grateful that the sovereignty of God overrides the slothfulness and the ignorance of human beings. 
Let me tell you something, if the sovereignty of God had not come on the scene in the life of Abraham, when he stood right up there after God had made promise after promise to the man, and he stands right up there and lets another man take his wife. And you imagine what kind of man that would be that would stand there and let another man take his wife and said, oh, she's my sister. What was Satan trying to do? Trying to use a woman to break the seed line again and get the king to go into her and defile her before the prophet got to her. But the sovereignty of God overrode the stubbornness and the hard-headedness and the cowardly attitude of the prophet. Come on, somebody preach with me this morning. Here was a man who loved God. Sure, he loved God, but he was a human being and he had his human weakness. He was a coward. Well, come on. He was cowardly and he stood there for his own hide and would stand the well she's my sister and she said well he's my brother but the sovereignty of God overrode his ignorance how many times has the sovereignty of God overrode my ignorance or my laziness or whatever more I'm going to go ahead and say it about you the same way how many times has the sovereignty of God overrode our stupidity our ignorance our laziness and whatever more we would have known no wonder how many of us have been dead today had not it been for the sovereignty of God look at our own prophet when he took his gun down there after the man had poisoned his dog and he took the gun to kill the man but the sovereignty of God overrode and overpowered that little rifle what about when his his wife was gone and he laid his hands took his gloves off and put his hands on those electrical wires and the sovereignty of God slammed him down to the bottom of the pole why because my prophet was overwhelmed but the sovereignty of God overrode his anxiety. The sovereignty of God overrides our trouble. The sovereignty of God overrides when we say, I ain't going back no more. I'm quitting. And the sovereignty of God grabs a hold of you and said, what? You ain't quitting. You're going back. You're serving me. You're living for me. You are mine. I am yours. The sovereignty of God. There is nothing that can harm you until that purpose is done. No matter how much trouble we have, how much heartaches or sorrows that we go through, all of these are reasons. And there's a reason for it. You understand it? Of course I don't. No more than you do. But I trust him. I trust him. Again, he said, God's purpose can never, never be defeated. There is nothing. And in case you don't know it, that includes COVID. God's purpose can never be defeated. There is nothing can defeat it. Now, this is what these statements ought to have effect on us. So how happy ought we to be today? Resting upon that beautiful revelation of the word of the living God. I mean, it needs it to be made more real to you today. This is a beautiful beautiful 
revelation of the will of God that Satan cannot take you. Brother Donnie, what about Brother Gene Lehman? His life was in God's hands. Apparently the Lord wanted him to go home at the time he did. Well, come on. Well, what about Sister Naomi Daly? Same thing. Daughter of God. Ready to meet God. As a matter of fact, the nurse come in there and told us, you know, I've got some things to do and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll start this cycle in maybe an hour and a half or so. She said, you've got one hour to get back here. You've got one hour to get back here and start this. So he goes, you know, does the procedures and what are they supposed to do and comes back and asks her, said, is there anything I can do for you? She said, yes, D-E-A-T-H. I told somebody I felt sorry for that poor nurse. He probably had to go take counseling after this because he's thinking, what kind of a human being is it that wants death? I'll tell you what kind it is. It's one that has looked across on the other side and realized they've got a body and realized they've got a home to go to that is so much better than this. What do you want? You want a chicken sandwich? You want a drink? I want death. Bring death. Hallelujah. I'm only one breath away from that new body. Bring it on. Hallelujah to God. Man's greatest fear, death. And children of God can look at it and say, Come on, death. Man up, death. Man up. I'd love to hear what demons say with children of God. Hallelujah. Whether they're there in an automobile, whether they're in an ICU unit, wherever they are when they're facing, I'd love to hear what them demons say. Look at them. Look at them. The drunk man, the rich man, the famous man, the movie star, they trembled, they quivered, they screamed, they hollered. Look at these people. They embrace it. Why, certainly we do. We're ready. Death is only a taxi. So you're standing in downtown New York and you want to get out of there quick. Taxi! Taxi! Pulls up beside you. Take me to Fifth and Broadway. Takes you there, drops you out. The taxi didn't claim you. You don't belong to the taxi. You hired the taxi. Jesus took the sting out of it. When death sunk its stinger into the flesh of God. And he reached out like Arnold von Wink, Lord, and pulled all of those spears. This day I give my life for my sweetheart. And he reaches out. My God. My God, why? I suffer sick. And here comes the bee of death. Uh, yeah, this is bee of death uh, over to Satan there down in hell. Uh, is it about time? Yeah, come on, make another pass around there. See, looks up to me, his blood pressure's going down, his heart rate. All right, I'll pass by one more time. 
I think he's ready. All right, Roger, over. Go ahead. Sink your stinger in him. Yeah, death. Please do. So here he comes. Roger, over death. Come on back down to hell. Mayday! Mayday! We've been tricked! Glory to God! We have been tricked! What's wrong? What's wrong? I can't get my stinger out. <laughs> oh, hallelujah! I can't get my stinger out! <laughs> Don't you understand, friend? He defeated death for you. Listen. God's purpose can never be defeated. There's nothing can defeat it. How happy we ought to be today resting upon that beautiful revelation of the word of the living God that there is neither things present nor things that can come. There's no sickness, no sorrow, no death, no perils, nor nothing that can separate us from the purpose of the living God. When God has imagined in his mind and what God has purposed in his heart to bring to pass, there is no demon no power, there is nothing can ever separate God's great, immortal, eternal plan. It must be as God has said. Praise God. I'm glad that's my God today. My God ain't sitting up in heaven, he's biting his fingernails. Oh no, what's next? Oh no, what's next? He knows what's next. He's so infinite. The prophet said that he knew every little flea, every little flea that would ever be on the earth and how many times it would bat its eyes. Can you imagine every flea, the billions of fleas that have lived and God knew how many times the fleas would bat their eyes. That's your father. Have you got an absolute? Now remember we started this out showing you that there is an external absolute, our Bible, message of the hour, all that. But there must be an internal one, which is a Christ-centered life. You see, many people have taken the Bible or they've taken the prophet's quotes or the tapes or whatever more, this preacher's word, mama's word. Oh, this is my absent. That's my absent. That's why they backslide. You must have a Christ-centered life, an absolute in your soul that says amen to this external absolute. This external absolute guides our lives. It tells us the wherefores and the whys and don't do this and don't go there and don't do this and that. But if you try to make that the absolute of the soul, you're still not born of eternal life. But when you get a Christ-centered life, then your absolute from within you will lead you 
to the light of the day as it shines upon the Word of God. Oh, praise God. Let me read one more if you don't mind. It is the purpose of God to see that it will prevail. Then it's not up to me and it's not up to you. Whether it will be destroyed or not, it's up to God. We can rest assured on it that God will never let our heritage be destroyed for it's His purpose to give it to us. Come and bow our heads together. I wonder with no one looking around today, how many of you just be honest and say, Brother Donnie, this last year or so, all this stuff going on, I've battled with fear, anxiety, this, that, the other. Would you, would you pray for me today? Would you just raise your hand to the Lord? God bless you, friends. God bless you. Those of you out streaming the service as well. Oh, hallelujah. As humans, we cannot keep from feeling fear. We cannot keep from feeling anxiety. But there's a difference in experiencing it and feeling it and letting it dominate our lives. This displeases the Lord. He wants to be Lord of your life. Lord of your emotions. Lord not only of where you go, what you do, but He wants to be Lord of everything about you. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads today to the dust of the earth, God, you saw the hands that were uplifted. Those, Lord, that are invisible to us, you saw them as well. I pray, Father, that you would help each of us. Lord, we desire that our days can not only be spent, but be invested in the kingdom of God. We know, Lord, that we only have so much time. And as bad as I hate to say it, really, even the elect of God will have all three categories of that in their life. All of us will be guilty of wasting some time in our life. And then, Lord, we know that we must spend time in our life. But then we also want to invest time in our life. We know to have friends, we must show ourselves friendly. We know, Lord, with our families and our associates, we must take time to spend with each other, or it can get to feeling cold and indifferent when really nothing has happened, but it's just a lack of time. And we know we must spend part of our time to keep it right. And then, Lord, we must spend time in prayer. We must spend so much time of work. We spend many years of our life, we know, sleeping at night, or at least trying to. And then, Lord, really, the least amount of most of our time is spent on the investment side. But you're such a wonderful, mighty God that you can take a wee bit of investment and turn it into such a great reward when we get to the other side. Lord, I, I imagine I probably would be ashamed if I would look at the element of time that I've lived so far in my 65 years, and if I would break it down into those threes, or if you'd do it for me, of wasted time, spent time, and investment time, I probably would hang my head today, as maybe some of these would as well, and think, really? That's all the investment time I gave to God? 
I spent time with this and spent time with that and spent time with something else and wasted some time here and there and I invested. I invested in a real investment of eternal life. Father, I pray, if they don't get anything more out of the service today, Lord, may it be this, that each one of us will leave here today with a greater desire and a greater determination to invest more of our time in things that are eternal. It's not that you get angry with us. Lord, we have hobbies. We enjoy doing this and that and the other. It's just when those things become predominant in our lives. Help us, Lord, I pray. I may like to be remembered in, in that way. I'm sure all of us can. Can we just raise our hands up to the Lord? Now remember, raising your hands is a sign of surrender. Lord Jesus, just take our time. Can we just open our hearts now? You just talk to him in your own way. Maybe the Spirit of God will search your heart while you're standing here and you think, Lord, I, I see I've been guilty. I've wasted, I've wasted time. Lord, and, and, and sometime I've spent, but I haven't really spent it wisely. It's the same with our money. We can spend all kinds of money. But you look back and think, why did I ever buy that? I don't know why I even bought it. Don't even use it. I didn't even like it after I bought it. Look at your time the same way. We spend time doing this and doing that. But what about your investment cycle? How much do you read your Bible? Pray. Listen to tapes. Think on things that are, are eternal. Praise God. Praise God. If every one of us, our days are numbered and appointed and set at a certain bound, I wonder, when it's all said and done, wouldn't we wish we'd have prayed more? If God was to take your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, there's probably not a human alive that wouldn't have regrets that say, I wish I'd have spent more time with him. I wish I'd have told her more that I loved her. I wish I'd have told dad that I loved him. I wish I'd have told uncle, you know, grandmother, whoever it is. I wish I'd have spent, what are you, what are you regretting? Investment time. Spending time on the appropriate things. May we do it now, friends. So if they do go by the way of the grave, that we won't walk up by the casket and have all kinds of regrets in our hearts. Praise God. Lord Jesus, thank you today for your kindness to us, Lord. I know this has not been a great camp meeting type sermon, maybe. One that would be so deep, Lord, that we'd all just walk out pondering what was even said. But yet, Lord, something that I think we all can understand and apply to our lives. Father, I've been serving you since I was just a little boy. In those years, I've tried, Father, for all that I knew to live for you and be true. But I've got so many regrets. No doubt I've wasted time. No doubt I've spent a lot of time that would probably been better off if I'd have changed it into investment time. But I cannot go back on the previous 65 years and change any of that. But I pray for whatever my days are left. How many months do I have, Lord? 12, 20, 50, 100? I don't know. But how many ever days and months and years that I have left in life? Let me use them wisely. Let me use them, Lord, as an investment. I, 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 don't, I don't want to do it so I'll have a reward in heaven. I'm not so much concerned of that. The more I do here, the more I get there. I don't think that way. I, I want to do it for the sake of your kingdom. 
for your cause and your economy on the earth, Father. May every young man here today, every young lady, I pray, Father, that you would help them to catch a new strength and a new vision. May the folks in their 30s and 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we got some here still in their 90s, but Lord, they're still living, so that means they still have time for investment. May each of us walk out of here today and ponder and think, oh Lord God, help us. Lord Jesus, take my life. I say with David, my times are in your hands. I don't know how many breaths I've already breathed in 65 years. How many hundreds and thousands of times, maybe even millions, my heart has beat since I was born. But how many ever more I have, Lord, may it beat to the glory of God. May every breath that I take, may it be a further expansion of my lungs that I can be able to express the life of a Christian. Not just preaching all the time, Lord, but letting your, our light shine and you shine through us. Help us, I pray, Lord God. Grant it, Father. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Friends, what do you say we just have a, a consecration here this morning, a rededication of our, of our lives? Not, not only of our lives, but our time. You know, Brother Bram said he had never stole anything as far as he knew in his life, but he had stole time. He said he had stole time from God. I dare say there's probably not a Christian standing here that is not guilty of stealing time. Amen. And I know we think it's ours, but actually it's not ours. We're all living on borrowed time from the Lord. Oh, praise God. Oh, praise God. Brother John, just come and pray for the people. Hallelujah. If your brothers are standing beside your wives or family members and you feel comfortable in laying their hands on them, why don't you do that? Or maybe you parents by your children. Can we just pray today? Lead us, please. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, God. What a gift you gave us, Lord. You gave us salvation, Lord Jesus. You gave us life, Lord Jesus. And Lord, you give us time, Father. Help us, Lord. Oh, Lord, how guilty we have been, Lord. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Help us, Father. As humans, Lord, we just, Lord, we just want to sit down and do something mindless, Lord. Something so, so simple. Oh, but Father God, we'll be required to take account, Lord Jesus, someday, Lord. Oh, Father. I pray that you would help each and every one of us, Lord. From the front to the back, Lord. Each and every one of us, Lord, is guilty, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father God, if we're being honest, Lord, and we were to take account, Lord. Lord Jesus, we'd be so ashamed, Father. As I am standing here, Lord. I know if each and every one would search their hearts, Father God, we would find, Lord Jesus, there was time after time that we failed and faltered, Lord. 
We made that mistake not doing anything wrong necessarily, Lord, but not doing anything right either, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, we have a desire to serve you, Lord. We have a desire, Lord Jesus, to be pleasing to you, Lord. We have a desire, Lord Jesus, to take every moment, Lord. You gave your whole life for us, Lord. Help us to get dedicate our lives back to you, Father. Oh, Father God, how we love you, Lord. The love hasn't diminished, Lord. Our, our desire, Lord Jesus, hasn't diminished, Lord. But we find the devil sneaking in and taking our time from us, Lord. And we, we're faltering and we're following him, Lord, when we're supposed to keep our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, help us, Lord Jesus. Grant to us, Lord Jesus, the strength, Lord. A lot of times, Lord, it's not on purpose, Lord, but make us more aware, Lord. May the Holy Spirit pulsate in our lives, Lord Jesus. Oh, may the Holy Spirit make us aware of the time that we're wasting, Lord Jesus, that we might be able to turn it back over to you, Father. Oh, God, you deserve all the glory, all the praise in all our time, Father God. I pray that you help, it, help us, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, we don't come as beat-down servants, Lord. But we come, Lord Jesus, as sincere sons and daughters, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, you're the, the very reason that you sacrificed, Lord Jesus. The very reason, Lord Jesus, you come back down, Lord. We are, Lord Jesus, yours. Oh, Father, oh, we are yours. Oh, Father God, we love you. We thank you for it, Lord. And not only are we yours, Lord, but you are ours, Father. How we love you, Lord. Oh, Father God, may we take this time, this moment right now, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, may we take this time, Lord to lift you up in praise and worship, Lord. Oh, Father, oh, you, Lord Jesus, are worthy. How we love you, Lord Jesus. How we thank you, Lord. Oh, grant it to us, Lord. Lead us and guide us, Father. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, blessed be your holy name, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. Oh, Father. Oh, how we love you, how we thank you, Lord. Oh, how we lift you up, Jesus. Praise your name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just worship him now. Look, as Brother John said, we're not coming as servants today. We're not coming as, as slaves that have been beaten and been whipped for something. But we're coming as disciplined children. I don't know about you. I got spankings whenever I was growing up. Some of you young people don't know what spankings are. Do y'all you know what that still is? Do you? Okay, some of you do. Well, good. Still got some Bible parents in here. I got a lot of them spankings too whenever I was growing up. But some of the worst discipline I got, and it was generally my mama, me and Mama was close, and Mama was tender, more tender than Daddy was. It would be whenever me and Mama would sit down, and she'd look me in the face, and she said, Donnie, I am so disappointed in you. I'd rather had a belt any day. I'd rather had a switch. I mean, she was about this tall, and she whooped me just about a week or so before me and Carol got married. 
That's right. Because I smart mouthed her and I said something that I shouldn't have said. And I deserved it more. And she wore me out. I was standing out there at the clothesline, hanging up clothes. I was fixing to go to school. And I said something to her and I shouldn't have done it. Buddy, she reared back and wore me out. Tan my hide. I deserved it. But them days when she would set me down and say, come here, I want to talk to you. I thought, I'd much rather she'd pick up a bell. Because it's just something about the words when they're spoken in love. And you, you can tell when a person loves you. When I love you, I love you, I love you. Buddy, 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 everything in East Tennessee, in case you Arizonans don't know what it's buddy. Buddy this, buddy that, buddy that. They ain't your buddy. They'd stab you in the back if they could. But you know the difference between somebody saying it and somebody really meaning it. We're not coming today as slaves and servants and crawling up as scared to death. But as children that have been disciplined. And we say, thank you, Papa. Thank you for the discipline, Papa. We accept it as from our Father. Let's just worship just a bit before we go. God bless you. Thank you for pulling today. Oh, Jesus, draw yes, me close. Me, Lord. Closer, Lord, to
when I went into the Bristol Hospital to see our brother several different times, the nurse told me that one time, no hope. No hope. I thought, you don't know my husband. You don't know his husband. And what do we see here today? A brother standing here that they thought would never be able to come to church, never be able to even get out of the hospital. Wouldn't even give him no hope to live. And God has moved for our brother. Does he still need a touch from God? Yes. Well, you know what? Our father specializes in such things. Let's agree with our brother today. Lord God, I remember when I stood there at the hospital. When I come out, I called Carol on the phone. And she could tell I was so tore up by talking to her. She said, what do you think? I said, if God don't move for him, I'd say he won't live through the day. But apparently, Brother Lewis had some more days, weeks, months, maybe even years. Because his cut out time had not been fulfilled. Praise God. We're so glad when the doctors turn away and say there ain't no more hope. We've got Jesus. Lord, you see the need still existing in our brother's body today. We pray, Father, that you would touch him. We're so grateful, Lord, him and Sister Linda able to come back to the house of God. I know it's our heart's desire. Lord, when I was there in the hospital, he couldn't even talk, couldn't even say a word. He opened his eyes and looked at me in tears coming out of his eyes and I could tell he was emotional because his his heart rate was going up and machines reacting but he couldn't say one word but thank you father that I heard his voice hallelujah hallelujah Lord Jesus minister to our brother today able to stand here and make his request known walk up here Lord praise God thank you for your grace touch our brother father in the name of the Lord Jesus we pray Amen. I think we ought to give the Lord a give one for him time for praise. We find Psalms 34. Psalms 34. Amen. I sought the Lord and he answered me delivered me from every fear. Those who look on Him are radiant. They'll never be ashamed. They'll never be ashamed. Well, this poor man
that sermon this morning praise the Lord let's just go this morning as we go sing this song uh, he's got it all in control we trust him in that don't we just sing this as you go remember the service Wednesday night well, he's got it all in control he's got it all in control Oh 